Welcome to episode 11 of the Avatar Hour podcast, the show where we discuss all things Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra. I'm Andre. And I'm Kayla. And this week we will be discussing episode 111, The Great Divide, dot dot dot, and 112, The Storm. Before we get into those recaps, however, we do want to let you know that this podcast will be discussing full spoilers for both Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. However, you are free from spoilers regarding any Avatar Universe comic books and also The Rise of Kiyoshi and Shadow of Kiyoshi books because we have not read either. Kayla, apart from still not having seen The Nightmare Before Christmas, how are we doing this week? Okay, call me out a little bit. That's fine. Um, I will. <laughs> uh, this week's been pretty good. I mean, right now as we're recording this, it's, uh, it's International Lesbian Day. So Love that. Let's go lesbians. Um, and how and- did you celebrate that? I bought a box of cookies from Insomnia. That's actually what my uh, microphone is currently resting on right now. <laughs> yeah. Listeners, as, as you can tell, our production budget is just through the roof. Absolutely. <laughs> One of the finest quality, you know, stuff for this podcast. It's late at night. I'm trying to think of something witty. It's not working. Um, but it is kind of funny because I'm still thinking about the Nightmare Before Christmas. I still haven't seen it. Uh, but I did have time to watch Shrek today. So I guess, you know... I do have time to watch the Nightmare Before Christmas. (laughs) If Shrek 2 was not the cinematic masterpiece that it is, I would still be upset. But you know what? I'm just going to let it slide. But next week, I am expecting a full review and book report. And so are the listeners. Yeah, Not to speak for them, but I'm pretty sure they're on the same page as I am. You can speak for one of them because my brother listens to the show. And how I know when he's listening to the newest episode is that I will randomly get a question about something I said or something you said. More often, it's something I said. Because I'm just doing my homework, minding my own business one day, and I get a, you know, I get, you know, chime on my phone, and I look at it's my brother texting me, and he's like, "So you haven't seen the Nightmare Before Christmas? Why haven't you?" What's up with that? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, all right. So I got two people holding me accountable for this. I guess it's just the quintessential Halloween slash Christmas movie, and you just need to see it. It's for the gays. It was made for the gays. Yeah, and now it like takes over hot topic. Which I'm not complaining about. And it's and just what an about it? And it's what an observation. It? It's an observation. <laughs> I never said it was a bad thing. <laughs> I'm glad it's taken over Hot Topic for one. And Spirit Halloween. Well, actually, no. Beetlejuice takes over Spirit Halloween. How do I know this? I seem to find myself in that store at least once a week now <laughs> since like September. I have not. I've only been in one Spirit Halloween store, and that was the one in Morgantown, next to the mall, and like the Gabe's. But that was yeah, like the, last year. Yeah, there's one that's near uh, the Target in Morgantown now. So it's like, Ooh. it's actually close. Gotcha. I can go now. I don't <laughs> get anything from that because it's so expensive, though. It's just fun to look at the stuff. <laughs> it is, but it's just not a sensible. I mean, like, it is a sensible place to find literally anything you need for Halloween. But it is, like, outrageously expensive in my oh, absolutely, most absolutely. humble, broke opinion. It's just, It's just fun to look at the stuff. It is. It is. It's a good time. It's like the same thing as me walking through Barnes & Noble. Only I can go to Barnes & Noble any day of the year. Spirit Halloween only comes around for, you know, like, what, two (laughs) months-ish? Yeah, that's true, I guess. It's just I just go there to recenter myself. Other people meditate. Other people light candles. Other people do both. And other people, I don't know, do a bunch of other things to center themselves. I just walk into Spirit Halloween. You do both inside the Spirit Halloween store. (laughs) Like you bring in candles and a yoga mat and you do a full meditation cycle in the middle of the spirit Halloween as store. You hear the, as you hear the monster bash in the background. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, all right. Well, good banter. Love it. Any news this week, Kayla? Um, the world's still on fire, but that's nothing new. Happy 2020. <laughs> I, yeah, there is a, there is not a, a well of avatar news lately. No, I don't know if it's because I don't, necessarily i mean i'm i'm always like ear to the ground with any kind of entertainment news and i follow a bunch of things on twitter but i don't know if it's because i just don't see it or like i just you know i mean like there are things going on with the comic books but like oh, yeah ever since Bright left yet. the netflix show like that's been like the big thing that people have been talking about but we just kind of forgot other about than that netflix. we might not have any news to talk about until we hear things from that particular production but yeah. i'm keeping my ear to the ground on that one but i haven't heard anything about it yet yeah neither have i just see things about the comics which again we haven't gotten around to but we will eventually we'll get there yeah like we said in the beginning <laughs> yeah definitely i think but i mean i haven't talked about th- this to you yet but i think when we take a break after our first season maybe in that um 
interval, we can acquaint ourselves with at least some of the Avatar Last Airbender comic books. I mean, like, I, I think idea. we we originally said that we were going to do them after we finished recapping Avatar, but that is going to be a long time. And I feel like we might be missing some good conversation points yeah. while we're talking about Avatar, you know? I don't want us to, like, finish the Avatar recap read the comic books and then be like, oh, I wish we could have talked about this while we were watching the show. You know what I mean? Good point. So Good point. that's an idea. We might we might do that during the interval. And then, you know, for our season two, we can just say, you're free from spoilers from the Kiyoshi books because we still haven't read those. But Or maybe we will. We don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen next week or next month. Holy I don't crap, know what's going to happen the in the next hour. Up. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the next hour, you want to start Let's us with our first started. episode recap? Yes, so this episode is The Great Divide, and it certainly uh, is an episode. Um, it's, it's an episode. A, I'm excited epi- to talk about this because I think I have a theory for why it, it is not a, a genuinely good episode of Avatar. Yeah. I Apart mean, like- from the fact that it was <laughs> continuously and repeatedly aired on Nickelodeon as a recurring mm. episode. Apart from that, I have some thoughts and theories on why this episode doesn't shape up to the rest of them. Yeah, because if people, if in case people who are still kind of new to the fandom, The Great Divide has kind of been collectively shit on for years. It's just kind of just been no one's favorite episode. And I mean, for good reason. We're going to get into why. But um, it's, oh, in every single like rewatch that I've done of the show, I just find myself skipping over that. I yeah. honestly forgot how the episode ended. Um, you know, it just wasn't a very memorable one for me. But mm-hmm. I remember it a little bit now. So let's get into it. Yeah. So we open up with the gang again. Uh, Sokka and Katara are arguing over setting up their camp. And Aang breaks up the fight. And then he's all like, you know, hey, I actually am pretty good at solving problems. Look at that. I'm the Avatar. And then they run into two groups with a 100-year grudge. So, you know, good luck with that, buddy. <laughs> so yeah. they're... Yeah, there's a there's a big old canyon in front of them, and uh, some guy runs out of the woods and tries pulling it. I was here first for this canyon guide who's an earthbender, and the only way across. They originally, I guess, you know, Appa. They were literally going to fly on Appa, then they all get tangled up in this mess. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So he's supposed to be holding a spot with this guide for his for his tribe, the Ganjin, until they arrive because they're running away from a Fire Nation attack on their home. And then some more people show up, and it turns out, you know, bada bing, it's the rival tribe, the Jangs. Clearly, they don't like each other at all. Clearly. They're like the, um, what is it? Uh, Jets oh, and the, fuck, the families the from Romeo and Juliet. I was going to say the Jets and the Sharks, but I think that's close Jets enough, right? <laughs> I hate Greece. I hate Greece. That's, that's, that's not Greece. That's West Side Story. Oh, same thing in my mind. <laughs> I don't I'm particularly so like West Side insulted. Story. Oh either. my god! You have not seen the night before Christmas. You have no room to talk. Excuse me, West Side Story's been around longer than than the Nightmare Before Christmas. Let me enjoy that. Oh, oh god, my god! I'm sorry. I love. I hate Greece. That's not Greece. <laughs> that's not. That, that's not Greece. <laughs> it's the same thing in my mind. Um, no, it's the the Capulets and the and the Montagues, Montagues, Montagues. Yeah, Montagues. Yeah, I think this is this is the first red flag right off the bat. It's the um, the cliche rivalry and not really knowing off the bat why they hate each other. And one thing that is interesting, though, like the stereotypes the tribes throw at each other are not like completely falsified. Like they are <laughs> actually like real, like the, the stereotypes live up to the tribes. Yeah, like the Ganjins like, are very prim and proper in, and I would be in the Ganjins because I'm I'm like I first of all I would not be camping, first of all, same. um and the Zhangs you're kind of like you know a little brutish a little dirty whatnot but like it's not like the th- insults they're throwing at each other are not true they're one hundred percent true which yeah. like is a little different it subverts the trope a little bit but they're clearly very different as we you know. So, said so exhaustively uh they you know for down to what fabric their clothing is what colors they wear how their hair looks that kind of thing so yeah mm-hmm. opposites do not attract so then the guide arrives and then uh the rest of the ganjin tribe arrives and then they argue over who's gonna go first i want to know like are are these like are these tribes tribes or there are these people from like a village do you know what i mean like yeah because there's water tribe 
you know, there's the two water tribes. There's more tribes, I guess. I mean, like tribe in the sense that they are nomadic and like sort of camp everywhere. Or is it just like a, a just another word for group for them? I guess. I don't know. It's I don't know. It's not that important in the grand scheme of things anyway. So. I was just I was just curious in like no, the, it's true. Yeah, it's a the, good, it's the a world. Good like, I mean, the Ganjins don't strike me as the, the tribe that are moving around and camping everywhere, even though they they're the glampers. Bring, yeah, they, they did bring like camping supplies, obviously. The 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 Zhangs definitely, but I don't know. It's like, but it's it, like glamping versus bear grills or something. Exactly. It's that one episode <laughs> of Parks and Rec where Tom um is glamping and he has like the, the air conditioned tent with like the iPad and the smoothie maker. That's me. If I was forced to go camping, that would be me. Um, no running water? Are you fucking kidding me? Um, but yeah, you mentioned earlier that the, they're, these tribes are refugees. Like, they're running away because the Fire Nation is, like, um, basically posing a threat to the area that they live in. So they're going to Ba Sing Se, uh, which we know is a very uh, refugee-heavy city, let's say. It's like, well, it's um, kind of like, to a lot of people, it's like the Emerald City of the Avatar universe. Well, I would say, I mean, if the Fire Nation wasn't such a clear analog to America, I would say Ba Sing Se is, maybe Ba Sing Se is like Canada. Because Canada is also a pretty huge refu- refugee country. Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> that makes sense. Oh, yeah. it really does. Uh, so Aang has the tribe's sick and elderly fly across on Appa's back. So now the rest of them are crossing the canyon on foot. The guide then warns them that they can't bring food with them in the canyon because it attracts dangerous predators. Someone's got to bring food, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. A lot of someones, actually. A lot of someones. <laughs> Everyone, you could say. Yeah, exactly. So as they wait, make their way into the canyon, the, the guide tries covering their tracks. The Fire Nation can't follow them, which ends up releasing a canyon crawler, which, you know, yay, more giant spider looking things. I hate it. I, I fucking <laughs> hate those things. Sarcasm. I hate spiders. I, yeah, hate it. That and the um, the huge wasp hornet things they find in the desert in season two. Same thing. Oh, no. You know what I'm talking no, about? No, no. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. So I said yeah. no. <laughs> no. Same thing. I hate it. I hate it. No. Yep. So they end up having to fight with this uh, monster. And now the guy's injured and can't earthbend. Well, Because he shit. broke both of his arms. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I honestly, with the way he fell, I thought he broke his spine. I didn't I didn't remember he that. He, I thought he only broke one arm. But no, he's like, I broke both of my arms. I'm like, work. Okay. What? So then the tribe start pointing at each other and accusing each other of bringing food that made the uh, crawler show up, which honestly, I think it was the rocks that did more of that than the crawler. Do you think so? I think so, too, because literally as soon as he moves the rocks, then the crawler just shows up in the smoke, not the smoke, but the dust behind him. I think Mm -hmm. it was I think honestly it was because he moved the rocks like it was probably just, you know, the crawler was just napping somewhere or whatever. And he's like, oh, I smell food and someone pissed me off. So I want to go fight some people now. Yeah, I'd say it. I would say it's both. Yeah. Does this guide have a name, or is he just the guide? I think he's just the guide. I don't. I don't think he ever said his name. And if he did have a name, I didn't see it in the Avatar wiki. All right, AvatarSpirit.net, come through. Does this man's have a name? Does he's this just, man's have a name? I don't think he does. So then, Ang gets sick of all the bickering. Uh, and tells them to split up and walk in two separate groups, you know, by tribe. Sokka and Katara walk with the tribes and separately learn about their feuds. Um, and then they kind of just like each tribe kind of agrees with like how each of the siblings wanted to set up their camp. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. like they're like, oh, I want to side with these guys. This is. I'll get into they're, why they're I, kids. I don't like this. They're kids. I, so no, no, no it's not. It's not that I'll get I'll get into it later. So then it turns out both tribes brought food against the guy's advice. So great job, guys. You done fucked it up. Also, yeah. Avatar Spirit Donut just says Canyon Guide. So man's does not have a name. OK, Mr. Canyon Guide. Anyway, so both tribes tell the water tribe siblings about how their feud started. Obviously, each has a different take on it. So the Ganjin's version is that Jinwei was an earthbender who transported an important orb as a part of a ritual. And then Wei Jin from the Zhang tribe stole the herb and interrupted the, ri- the ritual. They literally have the same name, just reversed. Okay. Yeah, what's... <laughs> what? <laughs> Why? Why? 
I don't know, man. We don't know the truth, though. You know, at the end of the episode, we don't know what the truth is anymore. I, I mean, think it's kind of the point. That that right there is very much like this is a nursery ta- tale. Like, yeah. I don't know. Okay, going but with then it. Then the Zhang say that Wei Jin saw Jin Wei, who was injured while trying to bring back the orb and tried to help with his injuries. But then Jin Wei is like, no, take the orb to my village, please. Then Wei Jin did exactly as he was told and brought the orb to the village. Then he got accused of stealing it and was imprisoned. Um, two very different stories, clearly. And two different animation styles for both of them. That I did like. I thought that was pretty cool. Agnew Wallace uh, off with the guide uh, and he's just expressing like he's frustrated about not being able to help the two tribes get along and get them all through the canyon. And the guide's like, well, their problems might not be so separate after all. So the next day arrives. They're almost at the end of the canyon. Huzzah, it's almost over. The tribes can't walk separate paths anymore. So, um, you know, now they're stuck together again. And Katara and Sokka have taken sides based off the people they spent time with that night. Okay, so this is... (laughs) This is what does what doesn't like add up for me because in the beginning of the episode we have already set up like the two opposing sides and Aang figuring out a way to to sort of make peace with it right that's his like goal his main goal to overcome in this episode so that already kind of sets up a weird foundation for where Kata- what Katara and Sokka do in this episode because I don't I don't see them taking sides to this degree like it it would it makes more sense in my mind just based on what i know about katara and Sokka, for them to like meet up and realize that there are two different stories going on and trying to to use that to try to pull the tribes back together not take two sides and be like this is actually what happened this is like for real what happened like i i would have thought they would have realized that these the because the stories are completely different and that's why there's a rift between these two tribes the other thing is like that thing between Katara and Sokka it doesn't do anything to the plot it doesn't also go anywhere either so it's just kind of like I don't really understand the the thought process behind this weird mini feud behind Katara and Sokka I mean I know they're kids I know they're siblings but it just it's it's not adding up it's not adding up for me Exactly. You said you said exactly what I was thinking. But does that make sense though? Like Oh it does. Like okay. I don't know. I was kinda like, oh, you know, we gotta have another reason for them to argue again. We gotta continue the argument from the beginning of the episode. Okay, okay, that's fine. All right. Then the tribes start fighting again. How many goddamn times are they fighting? Aang yeah. tries again to pacify people, and then the two leaders are like, Nope, fight to it to death. Let's do that. Or the fight to the death over the feud slash who gets out of the canyon first. So Aang uses airbending to stop the fight. It ends up revealing that both tribes both brought food and that pisses him off. Well, I mean, I wouldn't blame him. I was getting just as annoyed too. Yeah. <laughs> and then more canyon crawlers show up because of the food. This does force the, both tribes to work together to survive by using their food as a distraction and then covering the crawlers' mouths with fabric. And they ride the crawlers up the canyon walls, which actually was kind of a smart idea. Yeah, yeah. That's like it. I'll give I'll give props in that regard. Like it was a, a very... Uh, clever way to incorporate those crawlers the Chekhov's crawlers yeah (laughs) Chekhov's bison whistle Chekhov's crawlers (laughs) so the tribes they get up to the top of the canyon huzzah everything's fine uh the tribes look like they're about to reconcile and then they still want to fight because they're freaking history so then Aang decides to basically ends the feud because he apparently knew Wei Jin and Jin Wei a hundred years ago. He, they were his version of the story is that they were twin boys and they were little kids playing a game, and people took it too far. And Ang made up the entire goddamn story using his hundred year age to his advantage. I did not expect that, even though I had seen that episode before, because this episode is just that forgettable. Um, I didn't I remember that, that he lied. I didn't remember that either. I was like, Shh, I thought that was shit. like the actual story yeah because i'm like oh it's a hundred year feud ang probably knew these guys what do you know i guess i did but that's a lie now you know it's fine well so okay well so that's basically the episode so let's try to pick apart like what i mean i've already kind of gotten into about that like plot twist going on there because i mean like that wasn't like i mean you know oh no we are that's that's gonna be that was not a hundred percent ethical on that um that's um, the that's the big glaring thing i have with this episode is that the way the the main plot is resolved doesn't feel 
right. It does it. It's a misstep. It feels it feels very off for for how this episode was going, and also like I'm just gonna go. I hate to be the person that's like if it's out of character for Aang to do blah blah blah, blah. but I mean it kind of is like yeah. for him. I mean I don't. I personally like was kind of shocked to see how many times he actually like lost his temper in this episode. Yeah. Like I mean like I know that it was a pretty stressful situation, and, also, and I understand when day, he blew up so. about the food, but. Even like at the very beginning of the episode, like the way he got everyone's everyone's attention was by shouting over them, which I guess worked, but it didn't feel like something Aang would do. Like, do you know it? He doesn't. He's not a forceful, loud no. kind of person in that regard. He's not aggressive in that way. And then the other thing is the way it was resolved. The whole thing for Aang in this episode was trying to resolve small personal conflicts as the avatar right because most of the most of the story is him resolving major big conflicts and this episode was about doing small personal conflicts and finding ways to resolve them and then the way he resolves them is by telling them a lie like what kind of message is this sending that's what i'm saying like the, the message is even if it works the message at the end of the day is like all you have to do to resolve a conflict is just lie to both parties. <laughs> like it's not even like considering the fact that eight year olds are watching this, but it, it's not even that. It's just like, what a weird way to end the episode. It just feels like there's a, there was a giant misstep there. Yeah. And also just like with the, I mean, like, I guess with their history, it's kind of ridiculous anyway. Cause like the history of why the tribes fight, you know, Jin Wei and Wei Jin. Um, I mean, they probably played one long game of broken telephone or whispered down the lane for a hundred years. So maybe the real story got all twisted. So I guess Aang's just kind of yeah. another twist in that story or whatever. And so, but that's you know, true to life, though. That happens. But yeah. it's the, it's the fact that the only way to resolve it was by lying, lying. to both of them. It just. It. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's not taking cool, out the part where if if it's ethical or not, it's. I I don't even really care if it's ethical. It's just from a writing <laughs> standpoint, it kind of felt like, well, what if he just lied to them? <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like it wouldn't that be funny if he just lied? To it them? doesn't feel like an inspired way to resolve a conflict in an episode of Avatar: The Last Airbender. Like, imagine if that's how we that's how we resolved the other conflicts in other episodes. It's just it's weird, man. Like. I don't, <laughs> and I, I want to talk about whether this is filler or not. I feel like if, if it's definitely filler. Oh my God. I feel like if, if the resolution was stronger and it got the point across that Aang found a way to resolve personal conflicts, I wouldn't call it filler because filler is absent of any development of the story and character. Hey listeners, Andre from the Eddie here. I just realized while I was editing that last bit, um, that what I said was not completely 100% true for all of the time. Um, I think I meant to say that most filler episodes don't have any significant development in plot and character. And that clarification is uh, important for what we're going to talk about in the next minute or so. But I just wanted to uh, jump in and clarify that um, just to clear up any confusion. And I apologize for speaking um, too generally about filler episodes. Uh, yeah. Okay. Back to the show. But because it this episode doesn't develop the story, the big story at all, and fails, he tries to develop the character, but ultimately fails. It also, it kind of, it's weird. It's in the middle ground. It is kind of filler, but it also is not. Because it tries to develop a, at least one character, but it doesn't really. At the end of the day, it fails to do that. So... I don't know. It's a really weird, really weird. It just sticks out. Like, I mean, like even in the Ember Island players episode, like they're flying over the great divide and they're like, wow, the great divide. And one of the characters is like, we've seen enough of that. And then we <laughs> then they just keep going. So the creators know that this was a very weak episode, which I think the self-awareness of it all kind of yeah. uh, makes up, up for, for the lackluster writing in this I episode. Mean... But in, an in a show that has such amazing moments, and even their filler episodes, like the, not the ones that people sometimes would get that are filler, quote-unquote, because mm -hmm. they don't have a main plot connection, 
Mm-hmm. You know, even those are considered amazing. I mean, technically, Ember Island players kind of falls under that a little bit. That's what I'm. Yeah, that's what I'm so saying. Like, but they all can't be winners, guys. But let's look at the Ember Island players episode because it does develop Katara and Aang's relationship in a very okay. small way, but it does develop it. So that's the difference between a good filler episode and a bad filler episode. A filler episode, by its nature, is not bad, but yeah. because it's never, it's very rarely done in a way that feels like it's important. People just kind of like skip over it or just think it's just it's it's bad because it's filler that's not the case it's bad because nothing feels like uh nothing nothing feels like it was developed or we didn't take a small step i don't need every episode to contribute to the bigger story but filler episodes should be an opportunity to focus on small character things Mm -hmm. and i think this episode tries to do that but it it ultimately does not work it does not successfully do that in my humble opinion so that's why i think this episode doesn't work for most people like yeah it was i did not hate this episode like i didn't think it was overall no. bad but the even the, though we probably the, made it sound like we hated it just by the way i know we talk about i know this episode. <laughs> but the components that mattered the components in the writing that mattered didn't work and that's why it's not a i don't think it's a good episode of of avatar but that being said everything else is fine about the show we have like the rest yeah. of the episodes are you know pretty freaking good the only other episode i think of that i lump in the same category as the great divide was probably like the serpent's pass episode i love the serpent's pass episode i'm sorry i just but here's the thing it has been a while since i watched it so i'm sure that my mind will change when i rewatch it so you know mm-hmm. tune back in in a year or so when you get around to that <laughs> I love great. the Serpent's Pass episode. You know what? You know what episode that kind of goes into the Great Divide with me is the Fortune Teller episode. Oh, that one too. I forgot about that one. That one is most. I don't like it most because I cannot remember remember a single fucking thing that happened in that episode. At least I can remember the name of the tribes and what what this episode was about before I watched it. I can never remember a single fucking thing from the Fortune Teller episode, which is coincidentally next week's episode. So the only thing I remember from that episode, which goes to show you how memorable that episode was, uh, when Sokka is like, "My life's gonna be happy and joyful," and he throws like a rock at a sign and he hits a bird or something. The bird attacks him. That's right. Or That's something, right. or wait, I mixed up two different moments with Sokka, but he hits like the sign and gets smacked in the head and he knocks, it gets knocked over. He's like, that doesn't prove anything. I vaguely remember a volcano. That's all I remember yep. from that episode. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the great divide. I would love to hear uh, some listener feedback on whether you agree with our analysis of why it doesn't work or if you have another reason why it doesn't work for you. We would love to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So we're going to take a quick ad break and we will be back with a much better episode, The Yay. Storm. All right. See you guys after the break. And we're back. All right. Let's recap episode 112, The Storm. Um, so like other episodes that we've done, we will be splitting up the recap into the two arcs with the gang and Zuko. So the episode opens up on a very weird nightmare that takes Aang back to the night that he fled the Southern Air Temple. And a lot of things happen, including a giant Momo. But the big takeaway from this nightmare is that um, there are multiple voices or characters saying, we need you, Aang, over and over and over again. So Aang wakes up from this nightmare, and he wakes up Katara and Sokka too. And we kind of learn from the dialogue that Aang has been having these nightmares for a while now. Um, but we transition to the next day, which brings very clear skies. And they realize that they're out of food. And despite Sokka's dream where the food was eating people and Momo was insulting him. Um, eats they, <laughs> the food eats people. Um, they go to a harbor to try to find some food, but not only are they out of food, they are also out of money. Um, but just then as they're trying to figure out what to do, they hear a man and a woman arguing by the water. Um, and the woman begs her fisherman husband not to go fishing because she feels a storm coming despite the clear skies. Now, I don't know if you pick this up, but she says, I feel it in my joints that there's a storm coming. And, I remember that there's a distinctly Appalachian thing where like um, older women will be like, um, my knees hurt. So that means a storm's coming. Have you heard about that? Um, I mean, I've just heard like of people. I mean, I think even some people have had like some kind of like knee injury or um, some sort of like chronic illness or whatever um, where like their joints ache. 
and it's about the rain or something. I don't know. I keep reading I've about heard, it. I've heard things like my my best friend Lindsay. She says her mom every time it's it's going to rain. She her mom says her her knees are shaky or they're achy, and then it the, the storm comes like a couple hours after. So I don't know. I just Atmosphere thought that was interesting. Changes, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. So Soccer jumps on this opportunity to go fishing with this man to get paid, and the fisherman notices the airbender tattoos on Aang, and after realizing he's the Avatar, the fisherman sort of scorns him and shouts at him by asking, you know, where he's been all this time, and uh, essentially blaming him for the war between the rest of the world and the suffering of the past 100 years inflicted by the Fire Nation. Aang flies away out of shame, and Katara goes after him on Appa, leaving Sokka with the fisherman. Um, as storm clouds start to gather, Katara follows Aang to a cave where he tells her about his nightmares and what happened before he left the Southern Air Temple. So let's get into this flashback because there's a lot of things here that is very interesting and I want to get your your temperature on it. Um, we see a flashback to the day the monks told Aang that he was the Avatar. Uh, you know, we open on this courtyard where Aang is teaching the other monk kids how to use the air scooter technique that he um, if I'm remembering correctly, invented to get yeah. his airbender tattoos. He did. Yeah. Um, cool. Love that. Um, they're not really quite getting the hang of it. So we can kind of see like this is a pretty uh, unique and advanced technique. Um, and I think that al- already kind of underscores Aang's abilities are much more advanced than um, his peers. Um, but as they're sort of as Aang is trying to teach them, um, they get interrupted by Monkey Yatso and the other air monks. And they basically take him to a hall and reveal to Aang that he is the Avatar. And Aang asks them, you know, how did you know it was me? And they show him the toys uh, that he played with as a toddler and reveal that these are ancient Avatar relics, essentially. Um, They are the toys used by um, his past lives. And this got me thinking, I've always wondered this, and I couldn't really find a a distinct answer in the Avatar wiki, but... I want to know, like, what are the other methods or rituals the other nations employ? Like, do they have rituals at all? Or is it just because the air nomads are especially spiritual? Or is it pretty easy to find someone once there are reports that they can bend more than one element? Like, you know what I mean? Like, does does the word spread quickly (laughs) once, like, you know, Ganyu's son down the block is already bending two elements? He might be the avatar. Let's tell our government or something. Probably... But, like, I mean, I think it needs to be some sort of combination of the two. Because, like, you know, chances are if it's, you know, I'm sorry, I can't think of another word for John in the Avatar universe. But, you know, John something down the street, something can bend two elements, you know. Chances are this guy's not going to be going to, like, the, if, say, it's Fire Nation, they're not really going to be visiting the Fire Sages very often. Mm-hmm. So I think something along the lines of like reports and then they bring them before, you know, whoever the spiritual leaders are. And then they do probably something like the, you know, some sort of test, like maybe not the toys, but something else that belonged to previous avatars, just not whatever right. shit they pulled in the last Airbender movie. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, we know that that there is a, a consistent tradition, at least from what we've seen, that they wait till the avatar is 16 to tell him. So they must have known somehow before that person knows themselves. So that's already kind of weird. I remember as far as what I know, I know we weren't going to talk about Bryce Kiyoshi spoilers. This isn't really a spoiler, but I know the main plot in that book is that there is someone who is being used as the avatar, but they're not actually the avatar. So they're just kind of being used as a figurehead. As that's what I uh, distinctly remember. Remember, it could be wrong, but that's yeah, what I remember. I think I've seen something like that. I think I'm, I'm thinking about like with like finding the Avatar. I'm also thinking about how Korra was found. Like literally, they're just like you know we've been to right. other people and they were you know we went we went like the White Lotus like oh we went to see other people and they you know they were all like false or whatever. What makes your so sure that your daughter's the Avatar? She just bursts and she's like, "Yep, I'm the Avatar. You got to deal with it." You know, like, right? That's yeah, and I'm. But I feel like hers is a little different though. Maybe I mean, is the White Lotus like? First of yeah. all, we don't really know how how long. I mean, we probably do know how long they've been around based on their introduction in the episode. But I don't remember off the top of my head. Are they sort of tasked with finding the Avatar, or is it just is it just because we saw it that way in Korra? Like, I also, we, I mean, Korra was like what four years old. I mean, Aang, yeah. so that means Aang died four years ago. So they're already looking for the next Avatar. Yeah. 
but even though they want to wait till they're 16, I don't see. That's the thing. Like, I don't, I mean, they waited till tell, they waited to tell Roku until he was 16. Like they showed up at his 16th birthday party and like, you're the avatar. They somehow already knew that he was the avatar and he didn't know that. And they were going to wait to tell Aang when he was 16, but with the war and everything, they were going to tell him sooner. And then Korra was just already bending three elements. So that was like a clear, a clear yes. <laughs> so I don't know. But um, I mean, like back to my original question, like are there like traditional rituals for each nation? And they've kind of just like fell out of practice, I guess, in a way. Like I, I would, I would want to assume that it's some version of the air nomad ritual, which is they just put out the toys. In front. I would imagine it's something like that. Something that would tap into the past yeah. lives that it's kind of unequivocally clear whether this person is the avatar or not. Yeah, kind of like how Aang is able to like recognize the statues in the right. you know in the air temple. I think right. something like that would probably be implemented. Just how I'm not sure, but I'm very interested to see if there you know if there are different rituals for each nation. Add that to the list of questions to ask Break if you ever interview them. <laughs> right. Well, also, I mean, Aang was not trying to bend the other elements either. No, you know, I mean, it seemed like I guess Korra was just like really experimenting and just got lucky that she was the Avatar, but yeah, Aang, I guess he didn't have a reason to try to bend. I mean, same thing with Roku. Like, I guess if you grow up in the in those, growing up in an air temple, I mean, like, I guess you wouldn't need to try to bend the other elements, you know? Yeah, it would. Hmm. So I don't know. I don't know how that manifests itself, but I. I would love to see uh, some sort of answer for that. It might show up in the comic books, might not. Um, or Kiyoshi. Or Kiyoshi, yeah. Now I'm but, really curious about Kiyoshi's stuff. So Yeah, yeah, true. Hmm. All right. Well, that's that. The monks say they were going to wait till Aang was 16 to tell him, um, but they are seeing coming signs of war. So in the context of Susan's rule as Fire Lord, what, what do we think like these signs mean? Like, to me, it just kind of came off as like we're seeing Sozin advanced into other territories that are not the Fire Nation. This could mean war. Yeah, I think that's probably the best. I was gonna say something like mobilization. Um, you know, seeing again, I think probably expanding the territory, maybe seeing like technology being developed or something for war, that kind of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't have too much interesting things to contribute. I think that's exactly that's pretty what much you- it. Yeah. yeah. And I was I was gonna say I was gonna I was gonna save this question for later, but do you think they were right to tell Aang this early? We might have talked about this already, but like do you feel like do you feel like even with the the coming signs of war, I mean they're signs, they're not really like confirmation. Like, do you think it was right for them to tell him at such a young age? Um what could he do at 12? I mean, yeah, I know he's a air master airbender, mm-hmm. but the Avatar needs all four elements, and you're trying to rush his training to possibly confront a war. How good of an Avatar do you think he would be? Well, that's the other thing, because they say later that he needs to continue his training at the Eastern Air Temple away from Yatso. So I don't know if that means... It's unclear whether they mean his airbending training, although he's already a master, apparently, or avatar training but i mean like if he's going to learn the other elements why would he go to an air temple you know i think that honestly they're probably trying to get him to do the avatar state personally is, can you train someone to use the avatar state well i mean if his previous avatars is probably some sort of record of how to do that especially with like well I remember cora went to like the uh different went to it was supposed to go to the air temples to get more in touch with their spiritual side so i guess maybe i don't know that's just my I, that's what that's my thing. I don't think there's like a like a training manual to use the avatars. They I think it's something that each avatar has to find a way to tap into. I mean, we see it at the very beginning of season two with the the air the Earth general guy like trying to induce the avatar state. Like it doesn't work that way. So I don't. So I don't know. Like, but you're right. What can he do at twelve? Like, what is he meant to do if if these signs of war are coming so quickly? What, what do they expect do? Aang to do? Like, what can, I mean, yeah, maybe if you, you know, maybe you can go to the Avatar state, but, like, you know, doesn't know how to use the other elements at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, doesn't know how to face down a leader, you know, face down, like, a intimidating, scary person who wants to, you know, take over the world. Well, also, let's not forget, the Avatar is meant to be a diplomatic peacemaker as well. He's a world figure. Yeah. They're a world yeah. figure. 
So, again, what do they expect him to do? Like, it doesn't seem the job... I mean, is it just to be like... Do they just want to announce to the world that he's the Avatar as a way of sort of unifying against the Fire Nation? But also, then, like, what? And then the Aang's 12, and it's 12 years since, you know, uh, Roku died, so... Yeah, it might be just that because the Avatar... I mean, they say in this episode, Ira says, like, the Avatar gives people hope. So maybe that's that was their game plan, like, to tell people sense. that the Avatar... This is the Avatar. He's the hope that we need to overcome the Fire Nation. But, I mean, still, apart from that, like... I mean, do you need to tell Aang that? We You could just say, we have found... We know who the Avatar is. He will bring us hope and unification. Like, it doesn't seem like you need to tell Aang that. No. If you don't expect him to do much, I don't know. We're spending a lot of time on this, but I'm just, I was just really curious. No, I mean, it's kind of like the biggest thing in the episode, kind of like what ifs, you know, mm-hmm. and trying to, I mean, that's a good portion of the episode, at least for Aang's arc at this time. So it's probably fine to be dwelling on this. But I guess, I mean, I guess it was faded because if they did wait, Aang probably would have never ran away and would have probably died in the genocide. So, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, so that's kind, of, that's kind of what like I believe Katara says something like that later in the episode anyway. So yeah, that yeah she does yeah yeah she thinks it was like destiny that you know he was in that iceberg for that long. Um, but Gyatso echoes those words from Aang's nightmare. We need you, Aang. Um, so that's sort of becoming like a motif coming throughout the episode. Katara asks Aang why he wasn't excited about being the Avatar, but it comes it becomes clear why when we see how the other kids treat Aang after they find out. Um, and this is just a personal question for you, Caleb. If if you were in this world and you were the Avatar, would you be excited, scared, no. anxious? I would not. I would not be very. I mean, I would not want to be the Avatar, to be honest. I mean, yeah, it's cool to have all those powers and stuff, but like, it's a lot of responsibility to put on someone. I mean, I I can't handle shit at sixteen, okay? And let alone trying to like, you know, <laughs> right. unify four different nations. Like, no. <laughs> right. Right. You know, so like I can't even, you know, I can't even imagine that kind of responsibility. I mean, Aang and Korra both knew from pretty young ages that they were the Avatar. I can't even imagine what growing up and spending the rest of your life with that kind of pressure would do, you know? Well, that's the thing. We're coming at it with the benefit of knowing what all of that entails. But neither Aang or Korra knew exactly what being the Avatar meant for their lives. But I I mean... mean... Yeah, so I guess I'm probably responding this to more if I found out that I was the Avatar at 21 years old. Um, Maybe as think, a kid, I would yeah. be like, I would think it's hell cool. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like, as a kid, but that's, um, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as Gyatso and Aang are playing Pai Show, they are interrupted by a monk who I believe is voiced by the same man who voiced the Chancellor in Mulan. I think so. It yeah. sounds completely I identical. I recognize that guy. I think that's him. Love that. Chifu, uh, Chifu, uh, and also Poe's dad in uh, Kung Fu Panda. And he also comes. He comes back as the uh, the mayor in the Avatar Day episode, I believe. No way. What yeah, do you know? yeah. So you know, he's got some recurring roles. Um, but yeah, the get interrupted by this monk. Uh, he wants to take Aang away for more training. Again, what kind of training? We do not know. Um, Gyatso, as Aang's guardian, puts his foot down and says he will decide when Aang trains and when he does not. And so let's talk about, like, the guardians in the Air Temple. I mean, again, what is the deal with the parents? Where do they go? Do they just serve as air acolytes if they're not airbenders? Do they ever meet their kids? Like, I don't know. I'm kind of assuming that Aang's parents, I just kind of pull, like, the old, the good old-fashioned Disney trick and just assume that they're dead. Uh, you know? Well, yeah. Like, I, I mean, I... I don't think the, I mean, yeah, I know they would want to take Aang away for more training, but I don't think that the Air Nation would want to separate families that badly, like that much, especially at a I young age. I don't think they see it that way. I would, would probably assume like it's too much of an earthly attachment having parents. Like maybe they kind of see it as like a, an impeding force against like their training as an, a, not only an airbender, but also a nomad. I don't know. I I don't think these. I think they're very pragmatic about it. Like I don't see it. I don't think they see it as their their separating families. I think that's just so the what, culture, like, a Jedi like or something. <laughs> maybe. I mean, so, maybe it's just the culture. Like the people have the kid, and then they don't 
they do, they give it to the monks to to raise and train. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, but I thought it was maybe interesting. I'm just, maybe I'm just used to seeing because again, I've rewatched Korra way more than I've rewatched Avatar. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm just used to seeing like Airbender families, Air Nation families together. True, because there's the one true. family. So, yep, that's true. At least in the first but, two seasons of Korra. <laughs> yeah, but I mean that very different circumstances in that case. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's why um, I'm probably not great at answering that question. <laughs> but I, I would, I'd love to more know more about that. But I just thought it was interesting that they... Do you think all of these kids have a guardian? Or is it just because they they thought Aang was special so they, they he needed some sort of mentor? I feel like it was some sort of mentor type situation, like you said, with like they kind of knew something was special about Aang. I'm going to guess that being a 12-year-old airbending master does not uh, happen very often. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. Or maybe the... The guardians have multiple, I guess, kids. wards or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe there's multiple kids that have one guardian. I don't know. It was just a, it was just a terminology that I don't remember hearing for for the air monks. But, mm. um, but speaking of the air monks, they fear that Gyatso is is too fond of Aang or is distracting Aang, and they want to send Aang to the Eastern Air Temple to complete his training. Um, this temple, I believe, we see at the end of season two when he goes to see the Guru. Um, but this causes Aang to run away from the temple and after flying right into a storm, much like the one we see in this episode, he ends up in the iceberg that Katara and Sokka find him in. And Aang seems really torn up about the idea that he, in his words, turned his back on the world. And again, this is the question I was going to, I was going to ask now, do we blame the monks for putting too much pressure on Aang? I, I, I think we can safely say that, they put too much pressure on him, but again, what were they supposed to do? It was just like a a very poorly timed concurrence Everything. of events yeah. that forced Aang to take on this responsibility and there was no other way around it. Yeah. Yeah. Very unfortunate situations. No really right answer to this, so to what to do. I mean Yeah, lots of shade, shades of gray here for sure. Um, but just then they are interrupted by the fisherman's wife and she's panicked because Sokka and her husband are still not back. Aang and Katara decide to go leave and save them. The fisherman's the- wife like, I'm staying here. She, she said, girl, that'd be me. I'd be like, okay, bring him back. I'll be, I'll wait here. Um, but, uh, in the process of saving them, uh, they essentially get, um, bodied by this huge wave. Um, and Aang uses the Avatar state instinctively to save them as they crash into the water, mirroring the same move that saved his life a hundred years before. Um, again, I don't remember this part of the episode. I was like, oh shit, like this is exactly the way he saved himself. So it's like, it's a nice sort of circular storytelling. Like, I think the symbolism of the storm is, is prevalent to like Aang's shame about his decision to leave and run away, and I think and Zuko's shame with his with his, you know not you oh, know, with the yeah. Zach Mikai. So we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We're going on to that um, next. But I just figured I'd point it out while you talk about the symbolism of the storm. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think I think he finally works through that shame in this episode when he uses that move again. And again, I I also realized that we at this point still do not know what is happening when Aang goes into the Avatar state. Like, we don't... We technically do not have the terminology for it yet. Um, In the Southern Air Temple episode, Katara says he's awakened his Avatar spirit. That's all we kind of know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, And we don't really know what it means until the beginning of Season 2. Wait, real quick, I just wanted to point my favorite line in the episode uh, when Sokka and the fisherman are on the ship and it's, like, looking really grim for both of them. And mm-hmm. Sokka's like, I'm too young to die. And the fisherman's like, I'm not, but I still don't want to. <laughs> Sorry, I had to point that out. It was a very important line for me. (laughs) That was a good line for sure, for sure. Um, So pivoting over to uh, Iroh and Zuko, Iroh attempts to convince Zuko to change course to avoid the coming storm and, uh, you know, to keep the crew safe. And I guess Iroh also feels it in his knees that there is a storm coming. Um, And Zuko very um, unabashedly shirks the safety of the crew um, in front of the lieutenant and continues his course forward to follow Aang. Um, as storm clouds gather, Lieutenant G, which I got again from AvatarSpirit.net, thank you, uh, calls Zuko out on his bullshit, and the two try to fight it out before Iroh breaks them up. There is this moment where their their arms meet, and there's like a sound effect of like two swords clanging, and I was yeah. like, oh, what is that? Interesting sound design. 
And there's like there there was like a spark, and they're like, I mean, like, are they wearing? Is it like metal? Metal? I thought they were just wearing like leather, like really thick Fire. leather. As as I guess I don't know. It was <laughs> I just thought it was funny. Um, but Ira breaks them up with a really swift move, and he said, you know, let's just all get some noodles, and maybe we'll calm down. And I'm like, <laughs> I like that idea. Me. I like that idea. Um, but later that night, you know, the crew are having a kiki complaining about their boss after hours, you know, as you do. And oh, yeah. Iroh walks in and tells them the story of Zuko's banishment. And this is another flashback that is being told concurrently with um, Aang's flashback, very much like the Avatar and the Fire Lord episode, which, again, is my favorite episode of the show. Um, but in this flashback, we get to see a younger Zuko. I believe he's like 13 or 14 uh, in this flashback, but... We get to see a younger Zuko trying to get into the Fire Lord's war room. Um, the guards keep him out, and, but Iroh lets him in so long as he doesn't speak. Wow. Um, you know, he says the old folks are kind of sensitive, you know. Um, so we're inside the war room, and this general proposes that they sacrifice an entire division of new firebender recruits and use them as bait in a military move against the Earth Kingdom. A couple of things here. How long has the Fire Nation been trying to overthrow the earth kingdom like even then there's still i mean like even back in sozin's time like that maybe that was one of the signs that they saw that they were trying to move into earth kingdom territory like i feel like i i guess like next to the fire nation the earth kingdom is a powerhouse superpower in this world um but and that's first thing the second thing I'm, i'm just like the new firebender recruits that are not trained and just using them as bait. That's like, that's some hardcore shit. Like even for the fire nation. Ouch. But Zuko realizes this and he's outraged and he stands up and he calls out the general. And you know, he's saying like, these people love and defend our country. How could you betray them? And because he spoke at a term in the, a turn in the fire Lord's war room, Ozai takes personal offense to this outburst and challenges Zuko to an agony Kai as a way to teach him respect. I do want to point out that he tells Zuko that he has to do an Agni Kai, but he doesn't, uh, Zuko doesn't know it's his father until he's actually there. Um, Zuko pleads with his father, but Ozai insists that he must learn respect by way of suffering. Jesus Christ. Stellar Mark Hamill uh, voice acting. Yeah. You don't even recognize as Mark Hamill, which is crazy. I didn't know. Again, I didn't know he was speaking in this episode. So I was like, as I was watching, it's like, is Ira just going to voice over the, the, what he's saying? But no, they actually got, Again, how the fuck did they get Mark Hamill? Um, we got him in. Clearly, was just, a really good story. <laughs> just do like four lines of, of dialogue, but um, I like to think that they just gave uh, Mark Hamill the entire script for the entire series because they could only afford him for one day, and they did it all. Anything, and they were like, we cannot make any changes to Ozai's dialogue because it's all recorded, <laughs> and um, we can't change it. So r- work around it, please. Um, <laughs> But uh, as we cut away from Zuko being burned, we see Iroh turn away as well. And on his left, we see Zhao, which at this point, maybe he was com- uh, captain or commander. Disgusting. And on his right, <laughs> we get our first glimpse of Azula. And I love this only because it's um, it's like a favorite fandom moment that Azula was so um, very in plain sight sort of planted into this episode without a lot of people realizing it for the first time. Yeah. And I think it's really cool. I mean, it's not something like... I don't think if I was watching Avatar for the first time now, I don't think I would have picked up on her. Oh, no, I would not. And like when she comes at the end of season one being like, oh, that's the one girl from that one episode with the flashback. But I like that it's something that you can, when you're rewatching, you'd be like, oh shit, that's Azula. Yeah. And she seems to be really, she seems to be really into it, which is like, again, so she would have been like, what, a 12, 13 around this as well? Well, if Zuko's like fourteen, then like Azula's like three years younger ish than him. Is she? Is she thirteen? I think. I I mean, isn't Azula fourteen years old? I thought Zuko was like fourteen. Fourteen. She's fourteen years old. So she would have been like yeah, like twelve, twelve, thirteen. I don't. I don't know how how long ago this was. Yeah. Because it's not really established. But again, she seems to be really into it. Also, I would say, where is Ursa in all of this? Like, does she? I maybe she kind of knew that this is what ha- was happening and she couldn't bring herself to go. I mean, I also got to say um there is a fan theory about Zuko's scar actually mm-hmm. that I've seen. I don't have the exact wording on me right now, but I just remember it stuck out to me so much. I might have brought it up in a previous episode, but I'll say it again. 
um the way zuko's scar is positioned um you know like you know how, like everyone like when they want to try to do a zuko impression you know they cover you know they kind of put their hand over their eye like this or near their eye or whatever like you know how azula does it when she does you know when she tries to imitate zuko at one point later yeah. she does that there's a fan theory that says that instead of like you know you kind of assume how he got the scar from like you know psh, fire blast ow um no some people are thinking that suffering because suffering will be your teacher mm-hmm. like could, like the, uh, the fire lord like actually just like had his hand with you know had the fire on his hand and touched zuko's face with it so fully just put his entire hand on his left eye and just burned him that way yeah i can see that because it kind of way, does look like a handprint yeah it's like, ba- like just based on the way it's shaped and positioned mm-hmm. i think it is because I mean, like, if it was a fire blast, it it is. I mean, it is still very on target, but it it is also kind of like it seems like he got the side of it of the fire blast. But that the fact that he maybe just put his entire hand. That's that's. I mean, like, sick. that's insane. That's sick. Crazy. I would go and I believe that. I would go I ahead and say surprised. that's that's canon for me. Yeah, I wouldn't be. I mean, like, that's just sick and absolutely in character for a sick twisted yeah. sick individual like him yeah very dark very dark the only I thing i would hands. i would say that contradicts that is that we do hear fire whooshing in the background so i don't know but even so i would consider the hand burning um pretty in I would, character yeah yeah and definitely. uh just based on the way it shaped i don't know i thought that was it was an interesting theory and it fit because we were talking about the agni cat <laughs> yeah for sure um, so the a crew the crew apparently did not know that this is what happened, and Lieutenant G just thought that Zuko was in a training accident. Um, this struck me as weird because I thought it seemed I mean like pretty public. I thought it was pretty public. Like there was a lot of people there, but I guess maybe I mean Lieutenant G he seems pretty young. I don't know if it's a also it's probably there. like maybe it's just really important people that were allowed to watch the Zachary Kai. Maybe. Maybe. I think it was just like probably like the super important people, like military, royal family, that kind of thing. I don't know. It feel it felt like there were a lot of people there. I mean, like who else? There's a lot of there? military people. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. Hmm. Um, but then there's this quote from from Iroh. I mean, Lieutenant G says that's why he's obsessed with the Avatar because things will turn back to normal. And Iris says things will never go back to normal, which <laughs> that's where we're at currently. <laughs> um, but he says the Avatar gives Zuko hope. And the Avatar is supposed to give people hope. That's yeah. That, you know, but it's the Zuko wrong kind in of a hope. Different, in a different way. <laughs> it, yeah. It's a still hope. <laughs> that that line didn't did not used to hit me the same way. Like it. it I was like, oh, I get it. Like mm-hmm. it's not. When that when you say the avatar gives people hope, hope means different things to different people. It fulfills different needs for different people. So, damn, that's. I mean, it also stuck out because I just finished watching The Great Divide, but that <laughs> is some layered writing, and I I I love it. It's really good. Have layers, ogres have layers. And so does this episode. <laughs> oh, definitely. Um, and one quick thing before we move away from this, I do love how. Um, when we're flipping back and forth between uh, uh, Anga Katara's moment together and uh, Iroh telling the story that the the fires are sort of like they transition by way of the fireplaces. Mm. I thought that was really cool. Um, just a you know, subtle hint to transition between those two stories, but just to really nail home the, the parallels. But Absolutely. Um, we love parallels on this show. We, we love, love foils. Parallels. Well, he loves foils more, but... <laughs> They're foils of each other. Yeah. Um, but just then the light, uh, a lightning strikes the ship and Lieutenant G and Zu- Zuko work together to save the helmsman that it, uh, was dangling from the top of the ship. And um, Iroh redirects lightning. Yes, he I does. I never noticed. I never. I didn't know he did that so early on. I, I do remember like, this. I do remember this because I was already, I was previously shook by this. Um, it doesn't look the same, and I don't think I noticed that it, it wasn't. Still, he still has that kind of the same kind of movie. He explains to Zuko. It was enough for it to make him feel like he lightning directed. You know, it was enough for yeah. him to like recognize it. Yeah, it didn't. I also really uh, noticed that he wasn't using like the two finger method that they use later on. So 
I don't Maybe know. Maybe he was still perfecting it. So, yeah, that's what I was going to say. So there's two things that could be happening here. This was break. They had this idea and they kind of wanted to see what it would look like to incorporate later and just kind of, you know, bury that hint. Or Iroh himself is still trying to perfect the move. So maybe because that's what because like when he does redirect it, he's still kind of he's a little singed. And maybe that was just for comedic effect. But it could be also that Iroh has not really found a way perfect way yet to redirect it without any exterior uh, consequences. Let's go with both. <laughs> Let's go with both. Love that. Both. Both. Both is good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So after uh, Zuko, you know, helps save the crew, um, they make the, the ship makes its way into the eye of the storm and Appa carrying the fishermen and Katara and Sokka emerges from the water and there's, they're sort of, you know, flying uh, out of the eye of the storm and Aang looks back at Zuko and Zuko doesn't do anything and lets them go. So this moment. Character development. <laughs> This moment, I don't know why, but it when I realized that the Blue Spirit episode was right after this, I was like, oh, it makes Perfect. sense. Because I think that whatever the way Zuko and Aang work in that episode and also this little moment here, I think is what Aang is like, maybe we could be friends. Like, I think Aang was kind of like, oh, he's actually letting us go. Mm-hmm. And I think Zuko was like, now is not the time. Like, it's not... Is not the number one thing right now, which is a big thing for Zuko to do, you know. But um, after that, you know, Zuko apologizes to Iroh for not considering the safety of the crew, and we're on our way from there. Any last thoughts on the storm, Kayla? We love parallels. This is definitely, it was a very nice treat to have after the Great Divide. I know we said we didn't hate the episode, but, you know, it definitely, uh, you know, wasn't our favorite one to review and rewatch. But so it was really cool to rewatch the storm. Mm-hmm. Uh, one more thing I wanted to say that I didn't get to mention in the Ang storyline. Um, I don't know. It just like hit me a lot harder seeing all those kids in the flashback because like all those kids died, like yep. they were killed. Like that just like gut punched me emotionally. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So sorry that I had to end the low note like that, but it's just a really good episode. And like just rewatching it again after a while, like you notice different things. Yep. Sure do. I think we've thoroughly exhausted these episodes, haven't we? I think so. You want to take us into Phantom Corner? Sure. So for people who forget, Phantom Corner is when we talk about um, memes or fan theories that we find on the internet because of the Avatar Renaissance, which has taken place on social media. So this one comes from uh, Tumblr, looks like, from the, the font and the color. And the font and the, and the format, yep. <laughs> font and the format. So this person posts, uh, Toph was shown easily bending a meteorite that Sokka gave her, meaning that Toph can bend any dirt regardless if it's from Earth or not, meaning that Toph could have definitely bent the moon, and the only reason she didn't do it was out of respect for Sokka and his ex-girlfriend. No. Uh, and then someone replied, Toph doesn't know where the fuck the moon is. <laughs> Like, <laughs> I love this. I love this exchange. It's so Tumblr-y. And I can tell this is old Tumblr, too, judging yeah. by the format. Um, <laughs> well, actually, I, just, I, found, I just found it floating around in a Facebook group. But I, I just, I thought it was. I'm not sure how old the post is. Okay, let me, let me, let me do some archaeology right here. Oh, my God. Uh, judging by the blurry kind of. No, no, I'm dead serious. I've been on Tumblr after the porn ban. I know oh, that's right. The it icons look like it is blurry. That's what happens when your uh, when your blog is kind of shadow banned, essentially. Well, that doesn't mean so, that doesn't mean that the post was. Po- no, the post it's not because of the like, post. It's just the blog. It's just the, the blog. The itself. Screenshot. Yeah. Okay. So the blog isn't like the person who typed Todd doesn't know where the fuck the moon is. Must have had some sort of like strike against their blog or something. That, you know, funnily enough, that what that wouldn't be my first reply. I would have taken it completely seriously and been like, well. I mean, there has to be a limitation to the distance of what you can yeah. bend. <laughs> like, you I don't know, think I mean, love, someone love can just... Toph. She's a very powerful bender and we adore her for it, but, you know. Yeah, I don't think someone can just, like, reach out their hand to the moon and move it because it's made of Earth. Like, you know, there. I feel like there's some aiming involved here, but, yeah. Yeah. I just thought that was funny. Also, like, the comic kind of reminds me of, like, Katara in, like, a later episode. She's like, the stars sure look beautiful tonight. Too bad you can't see him, Toph. Like... <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. It just reminded me of that. 
I yeah. shouldn't have laughed, but I did. I can't wait till till Toph gets in the mix here, but oh, we're gonna have so much fun with that. Until then, yeah. Until then, cool. So, if you guys feel like we missed something in our discussion, have any feedback on anything we talk about, um, we want to hear from you. You can email us. You can email us directly at theavatarhourpodcast at gmail or if you want to follow us on social media and stay up to date of what we're doing during the week, um, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at the Avatar Hour Podcast. Or you can follow us at Twitter at Avatar Hour. If you'd like to follow us personally, you can find me on Twitter at hey, it's underscore Andre. And you can find me at Kayla underscore underscore Gagnon. And that is episode 11. We're on Thank 11 you guys. Ep- we've done 11 episodes of this thing. I know. I know. <laughs> it feels like so much more. But, you know, we're, we're here. We're queer. And that's episode 11. Yeah. All right. Thank you guys for listening. I'm Andre. And I'm Kayla. See you next week, guys. Bye. See you next week. Bye.